Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Well, one of the real concerns, of course, uh, with all the trade deals that are going on and uh, the USMCA deal that was announced yesterday is the continuation of the steel and aluminum tariffs. We had hoped, of course, that if a deal was reached, that uh, that there would be a lifting of the tariffs. Uh, It's not happening. Uh, As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday with his announcement, President Trump said, no, they're going to stay in place. Uh, he likes tariffs. He likes this whole idea. Well, whatever. Uh, we're told now that there may be able to be a separate uh, negotiation to try to get that done. The prime minister uh, later in the day also responded. Moving forward on eliminating uh, the uh, tariffs on steel and aluminum uh, remains a priority for us, for Mexico, and something that the Americans have indicated that they are uh, more than willing to work on. Uh, that's going to be a separate negotiation, according to the experts. And, uh, well, I can only think that if it is dealt with the same kind of acrimonious attitude as the, the NAFTA negotiations where it could be some time. This is bad news for the steel industry, of course, here in the Canadian side of the border. ArcelorMittal, DeFasco, uh, Stelco, and, and, of course, other steel entities are looking at this with great interest. Uh, how is this deal going to announce, that was announced? How is this going to impact us, and how are the negotiations about releasing these tariffs uh, going to impact, impact what's going to be happening in the next little while? Joining us to talk about this is Greg Mordew, McMaster's ArcelorMittal DeFasco Chair in Advanced Manufacturing Policy. Uh, Greg, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate you hopping in today. Good morning. Good to have you with us today. Uh, first of all, let, let, let's talk about the impact that the tariffs have had on, on the steel industry and ArcelorMittal DeFasco and, and Stelco in particular. There was a concern uh, right off the bat, Greg, obviously, about the impact, the negative impact this was going to have. But we kind of counterbalanced that with a story that I know you read last week that said that actually, you know what, sales are up in spite of that, uh, which uh, kind of gave us some hope. But I, I'm guessing that's not going to last forever. Well, I, you know, I, it, it, it's not possible to conject or project what's going to happen with respect to uh, steel or any other uh, tariff um machinations that Mr. Trump and his uh, crew might uh, um, create over the next little while. I think one of the reasons that I've seen that that, that makes uh, some degree of sense is that there was perhaps a reluctance to tie um, steel and and aluminum tariffs under Section um, 232, which is this uh, national defense or security um, provision that the president holds to uh, the reluctance was to tie that to a trade deal because uh, the section 32 232 rather is not supposed to be tied to uh, to a tariff or to a trade uh, machinations it is a security provision so to tie it to uh, the USMCA I have to say that slowly to make sure I get it right <laughs> would uh, would be uh, contrary to the, uh, the the basic premise by which the uh, 232 is was devised. So. Does does it also indicate that actually even the the, the rationale for these th- tariffs were, was rather flimsy and and it just it just seems this this tie in and I'm uh, I, I'm even relating to some of the stuff I've read from some of the U.S. economists about this too, Greg. That simply said, look, that's that's really stretching it. Well, I think I think anyone that looks at it in a, in a rational way understands that it's uh, that it's not uh, that it's exactly that stretching it i don't think i think that the history would show and the relationships would show that uh, canada is not a threat to the national security of the u.s the um, i mean putting uh, um, using 232 as a mechanism in the industry that i look most closely at in the auto industry 
is uh, is uh, has been a threat, was a threat, apparently has been pulled off, but was uh, was uh, ludicrous at its core. I mean, we are not lining up uh, um, Ford edges made in Oakville to uh, storm the border. So uh, be that as it may. Well, the, they're heading to the border. Stuff. They're heading to the border because seventy percent of the cars we produce here get sold over there, but yeah, uh, but right. but not in an antagonistic way. That's right. Uh, so that there's a lot of, of, of fudging of, of numbers and facts that are going on here, which is not unusual, I guess. We've come to expect that for Trump, but obviously it's having an impact. But you you brought up the auto industry, and obviously the, the, those are are married together: the steel industry and the auto industry, especially in the case of ArcelorMittal to Fasco. An awful lot of their product is geared toward the auto industry. So. Uh, you got good news that there's not going to be tariffs. I, I guess that's that's okay. Uh, there is a ceiling on on what we're allowed to send back into the states, but it's a pretty high ceiling, and we'll see what happens with that. But then you've got the the, the tariffs that are still in place here right now. So it, was it a good news bad news situation, Greg? Well, I mean, our prime minister characterized it as a win win win. I'm not sure it was a win win win, but it was uh, certainly. We didn't lose. And by uh, the standard of did we basically keep what uh, we had anticipated that we wanted to keep? Yeah, we did. I mean, the uh, the uh, ceilings under uh, uh, that, that were put in place that you mentioned for the auto industry are exports of 2.6 million vehicles a year and exports of, uh, of just uh, north of $30 billion a year in the event of a 232 being applied to the global auto industry. Frankly, we haven't made two. Um, we haven't even made in Canada um, 2.6 million vehicles since 2004, 2005, rather. I'm not sure that we have ever exported 2.6 million, even when we were making record numbers in 1999 and 2000. So, frankly, I I, I hope I, I would hope that two point getting close to that 2.6 million export ceiling would be a problem for us. That would. Uh, that would uh, denote the addition of a couple of additional full-scale assembly plants. We've only had one new assembly plant in the last 30 years. We've lost six assembly plants in Ontario since 2000. So I don't think, I wish, but I don't think we're ever going to have to worry about the uh, the ceiling insofar as 2.6 million vehicles, as an example, is concerned. Well, that's one of the stories that I read yesterday from an economist who was being critical of this. And, and you're right, there are some things here that need to be discussed. Uh, it's it's you know, With any trade deal, there's going to be winners and losers in this situation. But they were complaining about this t- this ceiling that was imposed here. Uh, and, and the days of huge investment into the Canadian side of the auto industry here, I, I don't want to say they're gone, but we're, we're past those halcyon days, aren't we? Back in the 60s when they were building plants all over the place here. As you say, the, the new mother load for them is the southern United States, and that's where if there's going to be any plants built, it's probably going to be down there. We're, we're I would think, fortunate to hang on to what we've got here, aren't we? Yeah, this is this the industry of, of, of building vehicles, and uh, it it pains me to mention this, but the, the 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 job of building vehicles is something that has transitioned over the past twenty years or so from a from a high cost, economically advanced um, game um, for countries to do that to uh, to lower cost places, and we we've seen that transition. You mentioned to the southern U.S. And certainly we've seen a bigger transition into uh, to Mexico, which caused a lot of this anxiety in the U.S. in the first place. But um, my research, if anyone cares, is shows that the uh, that 
auto manufacturing in 2000 that the most advanced, higher-cost places represented about 75% of global production. Today, it represents um, just a little bit less than 40%. So we are on a slope that is very difficult to uh, to change. The, uh, the uh, extension of uh, NAFTA or the USMCA um, mitigates that a little bit, but the, uh, the, the, the evidence is there that this is transitioning into low-cost locations. What is, uh, from uh, at the standpoint of what's going on, let's talk about ArcelorMittal for just a second, if we could, uh, because we know that, the, you know, one of the strengths, well, it's the strength is people, if I can go with the cliche, but uh, it also is diversity. I mean, you know, the, 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 the product lines there, the stuff that is produced at ArcelorMittal DeFasco uh, is diverse, and, and, and that obviously gives you some defense against these sorts of things that are happening. Uh, orders are still up. I mean, they're still going to be making cars, and they're going to be buying steel from you. Uh, is there a concern from ArcelorMittal, that is? Is there a concern? Concern that, that that's going to dry up in time because my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Greg, is that a lot of what is going on at ArcelorMittal DeFasco vis-a-vis the auto industry right now, uh, there's it's not replicated to the same extent as it is with some of the U.S. Uh, steelmakers, and and they'd actually have to reinvent themselves, which takes time. Well, I think I, I, well, I think that that's the uh, the uh, the secret of the strength of ArcelorMittal DeFasco is that they do continue continually and do have a history of reinventing themselves and uh, being at the forefront of innovation. A company like uh, DeFasco, part of a big global organization, and I've seen it in my own history as well, uh, you know, stuck in Canada doing a very good job. They have a culture and they have a, a, a history, even within the relatively short period of time within their history, of, of being a part of the ArcelorMittal um, group, of having to uh, punch above their weight in order to be heard and to be recognized and to be given mandates, global mandates for innovation and global mandates for product, they have to not simply be as good as, um, as, as the U.S., for example. They have to be better. And that's, I believe, is the, 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 the core of the the value system within within um, within ArcelorMittal DeFasco, as it is in a lot of Canadian subsidiaries of international companies, they have to be not just as good as the uh, as the big market uh, um, colleagues in the U.S., for example. They have to be better. And 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 what I see from uh, ArcelorMittal DeFasco is that they hold that. Um, pretty uh, intently and and are constantly innovating. There's an interesting dynamic that's going on, and let's face it, uh, there's a lot of politics in, in economics these days that they're intertwined, obviously, and maybe even more so because of, of Trump and what's going on down there. But when he was threatening auto tariffs, uh, he got pushback from the auto industry on both sides of the border, as, as we know. Because uh, they said this is going to hurt everybody. I mean, you, they, they didn't understand the uh, the integration of the supply chain and a number of other things that everybody was going to get banged up by that. Uh, on the other side, though, when we start talking about steel tariffs, my understanding is that the steel industry down in the states thinks this is a pretty good idea, uh, and and they're they're kind of letting the Canadian entities sink or swim on this. So uh, they're getting mixed messages at the White House, but I don't know that there's going to be a pushback, at least not much of a pushback anyway, from the U.S. steel industry on this. I think they they're pretty comfortable with this. Well, I mean, these things can be very awkward for uh, for um, international 
corporations and the subsidiaries of international corporations. And I'll, I'll come back to the auto industry. I'm, sure. I'm not necessarily directly answering your question. But um, but just about every, uh, every stakeholder, um, to a degree, it was conflicted over the uh, over the processes that were going on. I mean, I, I mean, we had uh, we had the five OEMs or originally auto assemblers in Canada, all advocating for a continuation of of a three country NAFTA, um, including Mexico. At one point in time, there was perhaps could have been conceivably an opportunity for a bilateral with the US but the uh, three country, the three comp- the five companies in Canada were all adamant alongside with the uh, government of Canada that there would be a three country uh, um, NAFTA and and one of the reasons that the uh, five companies were uh, that make cars in this country that were adamant about a three country NAFTA was not necessarily because of this long standing affinity that they uh, that, that they had with Mexico, but rather their uh, their uh, corporate headquarters would have been well in favor of a three country NAFTA because that's what that their their companies would have advocated for. So this so you know it, it, this is, this becomes a, a, a very interesting uh, dynamic that uh, that 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 policymakers need to try to ferret their way through because you know people say one thing and uh, as members of a company they may believe something else as uh, as canadians so it's a challenge for policymakers to uh, poke and prod and figure out what is in fact exactly best for uh, for uh, for their stakeholders uh, whether they're automakers or uh, workers or anybody else which is exacerbated by the fact that there's obviously midterm elections going on in the states in just a couple of weeks, and we have a federal election coming up in less than a year now, uh, and that tends to to heighten, I guess, politicians' awareness as to the sorts of voices that they're going to hear, uh, which I, is probably why not a whole lot gets done when you get in towards elections, at least from a political standpoint. Anyway, how how sustainable is the current situation? I mean, as the sun came up this morning, Greg. Uh, we got, I guess, relatively good news about the auto industry. No tariffs, and and looks like things are going to go swimmingly for the next little while. But these tariffs on steel and aluminum are still there, and that that has going to have an impact at some point here. Is, uh, is there a, a date down the road or a time down the road when you say, "Whoops, if we get there, we're in trouble"? Well, I think at at, at some point in time, the um, companies are never going to make rash decisions. And I'm sure that the uh, ArcelorMittal people that are thinking about uh, investing in uh, ArcelorMittal DeFasco or people that are thinking about investing anywhere within the, uh, the steel industry supply chain are looking at the uh, situation with respect to uh, tariffs and steel and thinking, well, we've got to make some investments, but maybe we should hold off on Canada for a while. Let's see where this 232 goes. That, that's that's exactly what was happening and has been happening in the auto industry for the past two, three, seven years, frankly. And there's always been an excuse to sit on your corporate wallet and not invest. And for the last couple of years, the reason not to invest in Canada 
was the uh, the, the machinations surrounding uh, NAFTA. Is it going to is it going to persist? In what in what form will it or shape will it be in the future? And in, in would we uh, would we uh, um, exacerbate an already tenuous situation with respect to uh, Mr. Trump and, and 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 his cabinet if we invest in Canada instead of the U.S. What happens if we if we continue to invest in Mexico? Will 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 we become as a co- an individual company a target of uh, of the wrath of that administration? That issue has been now resolved for the auto industry. So frankly, it's time for the auto industry to get off their wallet and start investing in Canada, unless there's another excuse that comes forward to uh, to not do so. So the but these things are not helpful. And uh, obviously, I don't know how long the uh, delays in investment can can go on. It's like uh, somebody can stay up. One of my students can stay up all night and, and, and study. And maybe they can stay up half the next night and study but for something else or do something else. But eventually, they're going to crash. And uh, eventually, the lack of investment in, in, in uh, the manufacturing sector in Canada will, uh, will have a price. And... And it becomes a bigger problem than it currently is. Got a minute and a half or so left here. I, what about the China factor here when it comes to steel? Uh, obviously, Trump has has a problem with China. He's just increased tariffs on a number of goods there. Uh, the insinuation, of course, was that uh, the Chinese steel is making its way into the United States uh, through Canada. Uh, which obviously gives uh, him an opportunity to look with a wary eye upon us too. How, how, what what can we do in, on this side of the border to assuage those fears? Well, I think that the uh, government of Canada has done a very a pretty good job over the past couple of years as they've gone through this process and reaching out to their uh, their uh, their colleagues in, in in the U.S. Congress and in the individual states and uh, and and educating them. I mean, it's an uphill it's an uphill battle because people tend not to pay, uh, believe it or not, <laughs> pay as much attention to Canada as they do to their own backyard. But the uh, government of Canada and, and, frankly, a lot of the prov- provincial people have done a pretty good job reaching out, trying to educate, targeting who they need to educate, and uh, and 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 keeping the dialogue going. And 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 frankly, that's the most important job that that uh, policymakers can do on behalf of industry in Canada right now. Greg, thanks as always uh, for the input into this. These are uh, interesting times, shall we say, and and hopefully we're going to get a a decent resolution as we uh, move forward on this, uh, the steel industry and those tariffs. Really appreciate your input, though. Thanks for this today. Thank you. Take care. Greg Mordew, McMaster, ArcelorMittal, DeFrasco, Chair in Advanced Manufacturing Policy. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.